Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Welcome. Whether you're at the Woodlands campus, whether you're at Center Court West, whether you're in Center Court East or worshiping online somewhere near or far, we're glad that you're here. So we're going to start in uh, today with part two of the series that we started last week that we're calling Rise Above. It's a look at First Peter in the New Testament. So why don't you take your Bibles and go to the little letter of First Peter, the back of the Bible. If you need a Bible, you just flag down an usher, wait, raise your hand on any, any campus where you are, any room where you are. They'll be glad to let you have one. And you can go to First Peter. It's, it's way towards the very back. Now let's kind of remember where we left off last week. The Christians of 2,000 years ago have come under fire in the realest of ways because Emperor Nero has framed the Christians for this horrible fire that he set across Rome. He was, remember, trying to clear out a patch of land from some some buildings so that he could build this marvelous villa that he had in mind. But he had to have a scapegoat, so he pinned the Christians. And so it now is open hunting season for Christians all around the Roman world. Everybody who wasn't a believer hated the Christians because why would you torch our city? And of course, the Christians never did it. And so the Christians were grabbing anything they could take in their hand and their children, and they were fleeing from Jerusalem. They were fleeing for their lives because they didn't want to get beheaded. They didn't want to get fed to the lions. They didn't want to get killed because they were Christians. And so they would flee as far uh, to places like Turkey, modern-day Turkey, Today, So they'd gone a long ways and they're trying to make a new life for themselves. They're being a, a follower of Jesus Christ in a foreign land now where they're strangers, where they feel like aliens. But on this certain Sunday morning, the home that doubled as a church was packed. I mean, busting at the seams. The Christians had packed in there before the sun even came out. They've exchanged hugs and handshakes and high fives. They've greeted one another with quiet words of encouragement. Quiet because they didn't want to call attention to themselves and have anybody come in and and try to destroy all of them. But the reason that they were all there that morning and nobody was late was because word on the street had it that a letter had been received all the way over there in Turkey from the apostle Peter. So the people were saying, we actually have a word from Peter himself. You remember now, Peter was the guy who 30 years prior, he'd been brash, he'd been blustery, he'd been impulsive. He said, I'll walk on the water. He said, I'll never betray you, deny you, Jesus. He, he chopped off the soldier's ear that night. I mean, he did all sorts of dorky things. And, but now he's, a, he's, he's, he's an older man. Now he's probably around 60. He's much wiser, much more seasoned, much more stable. And he's a leader for the whole Christian movement all around uh, Asia Minor. And word had it over there. We actually have a letter from Peter. He's written to us to encourage us. We started in on that letter last week. Remember, and, and he starts with this note of hope. And many of you left last week and you said, that just really ministered to my soul. I needed to have that word of hope. And today we crowd into our own uh, rooms of worship to continue looking at this same letter that he wrote to those Christians. Some might say, well, why are you reading the letters 2,000 years old? It was written to those Christians, not written to us. No, actually, it works for us too. Because we too live in a world that is continually unraveling, in a nation that often feels like it's unraveling, and our lives sometimes feel like they're unraveling. And the amazing thing about the word of God is that it's timeless. It never expires. It never runs out of usefulness. And so we read 1 Peter today, and it's just as helpful for us as it was for those earliest Christians who maybe crowded into that home that morning 
to hear what Peter had to say to them. So let's look at 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter 1, starting today in verse 13. Now, let me just remember, remind you, remind you in case you had missed last week. He has started in by, by giving this word of hope to the Christians. Remember, he, he said, no, wait, wait, even though I know you've fled for your lives, you're way off in a foreign land, you're scared, you're afraid you're going to get killed. Remember that you've been born into a living hope through Jesus Christ. You're connected to the Savior, the King of the world. So even if horrible things are going on around, you can rise above that because you have this connection to the Savior. And remember that the suffering that you're going through right now, and I'm not denying you're going through suffering, he was saying, because you are and it's real and I'm not trying to pretend it's not, no, it's really happening. But remember, it's only gonna be lasting for a short time compared to eternity when you get to be in heaven. It's only gonna be for a short time. Keep your eyes, therefore, on Jesus. Remember, he said, you're not headed for a hopeless end. You, if you have Jesus, are headed for endless hope. So that's where we left off uh, last week. Today, he starts in verse 13. He's gonna use a conjunctive adverb. And it's going to be therefore. That's the first word we're going to read. And what does that mean? That means he's saying, okay, in light of everything now that I just said in those first 12 verses, here's now what you need to do with it. Okay? All of this, you got that? Therefore, today. Verse 13. Therefore, he says, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verse 17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in reverent fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, Peter's telling us two things in particular today. If you want now to live victorious in light of this hope that comes through being born again into this living hope, if you want to live victorious, Two things are going to have to happen. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Your mind is going to have to be transformed. Your mind is going to have to be transformed. He's saying, you're going to have to get your mind in gear, people. The old English translation put it, you're going to have to gird up the loins of your mind. And we read that and we're like, what's a loin? I mean, I think of a barbecue, tenderloin or something. Well, the loins were, you know, what he was saying is you're going to have to gird. See, the people back then, they wore these long robes that, you know, they kind of just, that's kind of what their clothes looked like. You can't run if you've got a long gown on. Men or woman, right? Ask any bride. You can't run. So what did they have to do? If they got to get somewhere fast, if they had action, if they had to climb, if they had to flee, you, you had to hike that thing up. You had to cinch your gown up and you had to, to stick it in the belt. And, and that was called girding up your loins so that then you can get to where you got to go. He's, say, he's using that metaphor. He's saying, that's what you got to do with your mind. You gotta get your mind in gear. If you're really gonna live a victorious life in Jesus Christ, you're gonna have to gird up the loins of your mind. He's telling us you're gonna have to be the kind of people who, who, who rejoice in tribulations. If you wanna be that, you're gonna have to be ready for some strenuous mental work. Tune in, he was saying. Back about, I don't know, a week before Christmas, one evening, Suzanne, uh, I came home from work. She was kind of tired, and she said, I'm, uh, would you just take the boys, and why don't you all go to get dinner? And I said, sure, we'll go to get dinner. So we went and got dinner, and, um, and we were driving home, and I was kind of tired too. And so I was sitting there in the driver's seat. We were on Luetta, 
kind of in front of the vintage and there's a red light and we're the first car at the red light and I'm waiting and I hear my boys in the back seat talking about sports or something and in the back of my mind I was kind of thinking through my Christmas Eve sermon as I recall um, and just staring at the red light waiting till it was my turn to go. Well, the car seated right next to me, situated right next to me, um, for some reason, he just kind of hit his accelerator and, and, and sort of went about two feet. And, I, and obviously, I saw this out of the corner of my mind, and though I'm staring straight at the red light, I reflexively hit the accelerator, I dart out into the middle of the street. There we are in the middle of an intersection. I glance to both sides, grateful that we're not smushed and, and we're alive, and I just kept going because there's no going back from that. Right about then, Wesley in the back seat said, Dad, you just ran a red light, why'd you do that? And I said, I don't know. I was just sitting there and the car kind of, and I just did that. And, and, and we said a prayer right there aloud, Lord, thank you that we didn't just get killed or that we didn't just kill somebody else. But it served as a reminder to me how true it is. You gotta, you gotta focus every minute you're driving a car. That's a big, dangerous machine. And I just would kind of not tune in. I wasn't focused. Peter's saying, People, if you're going to live a victorious life in Christ, you got to get your mind tuned in on Jesus. you got to lock it. You can't be daydreaming and doing all that sort of stuff. He was saying to the Christians, here's the problem with so many people who are trying to follow Christ and, and, and not succeeding at it victoriously. He, he was saying, you people, you're thinking about so many different things. You have so many different goals you have so many different relationships. And, and then you take this one little corner of your mind and you say, okay, God, you can have this little corner of your mind, uh, of my mind. And, 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 and we wonder, why, why is this not working? Peter's telling us, of course that's not going to work. You've got to totally focus all your mind on Jesus. This, is, this following after Christ, this is not a hobby. This is not something you just sort of bounce in and out on. This is full-time work if you're going to have a sense of victorious living. See, here's what I think the problem is with, with many Christians uh, today. Um, if you can picture my arm, so, so uh, let's pretend this is a track, like a railroad track. Here's the track of a person's life when they don't have Jesus. Okay, and they're, do, they're doing their own thing and they're living their own life. And, but then somebody tells them about Jesus and the gospel and how God loved us so much that he sent Christ to, to be our sacrifice and live that life of perfection we could never live and then to die the death of suffering that we deserve and then rose victorious that, that we can trust in him. We can be rescued. We can be saved. And, and, and we hear that and we're like, that sounds awesome. And so we say, I want to do that. I want to follow Christ. And so what happens then is that then we come along and we lay this Christian track right next to our old track. But the way our thinking goes is they're parallel tracks. They're, I mean, they're, they're real close. And, but now I'm not on this track. I jumped over to the Christian track. But you know the problem when you lay the tracks in this close? It's tempting to just say, but you know, sometimes I got to jump back over on this track. But not all the times because then I'll, I'm, I'm, but then over here, yeah, I'm going to And we jump back in. And that's not what Jesus ever offered. He said, no, 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 that's, that's not the deal. He, he, said, he said, the way it works is I've come to lay a totally different track in your life. You, you're going to go this way if you're going to follow me. This is not something you sort of spring in and out of. And I'm afraid that's what many American Christians think. This is how Christianity works. You know, I have a, a pretty good life as it is, and... Uh, now just got a little better. I'll just keep everything I've got and I add a little Jesus in and what do you know? And, and Jesus is saying, that's not, you don't understand. Peter is saying to us, this is, this is not, you know, sort of a hobby. He's saying, you've got to wake up. Get your mind clear. Stay sober-minded. See, I think one of the reasons that many Christians um, leave, live lives of defeat is that they haven't really yet made up their mind. They have really made up their minds. And so, sort of like me at the traffic light, they're just sort of daydreaming their way through life and a little flirtatiousness happens at the workplace. 
a little hug that turns into more than it should have been. And the next thing, somebody's having an affair. Now, you, you ask them, what in the world? You've got a spouse? You've got children? What were you thinking? He, he or she says, truly, I don't think I was thinking. It was just kind of all feeling. Peter's saying, yeah, that's the problem. You've got to get your mind in gear if you're going to follow after Christ. Why'd you curse your boss and get fired? I don't know. I, I, it's not like I sat down and thought through, well, I think I'll just do this, and then I'll just get fired. No, it's, it's like I wasn't thinking. Yeah, that's the problem. It was all emotion. Why'd you get so far in debt? You bought a car or a boat or something. You can't afford that. Why did you do that? I don't know. It just felt right at the moment, and that kind of went with the impulse. Sometimes I'll run into a Christian and, or faith bridger, and I haven't seen you in church forever. Are you still in a grow group? No, not really. How your devotional, how's your devotional like? Eh, it's not really. What do you, how did that happen? I don't know. I just got so busy with other stuff. Pew, 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 pew. That's what they're saying. And Peter's saying, come on. You can't go in and out of this discipleship thing. Wake up, get ready, get your hope completely fixed on Jesus. That's what he was saying. About a year or so ago, my younger son, his name's William, he was having, uh, William is a natural athlete. He loves sports and there will never be enough sports that you could pack into one day. And, <clears throat> but uh, and William was having a little bit of problem with his accuracy. Strength and distance is never the problem. He's always had strength and distance, but, but the ball was always going over to the left. Um, and I was running around to pick up the ball and, and I was getting a little frustrated by it and he was getting a little frustrated by it. And so finally I said, son, I got an idea. I went inside, opened up my sock drawer, pulled out a pair of red socks that I never wore and I took them out, put one of those red socks on the fence, got the bucket of baseballs, came over to this side of the yard and I said, now William, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at that red sock and I want you to hit that red sock. Just tune out everything of your life. Don't think about that tree. Don't think about the bush. Don't think about the trampling. Don't just look right there and hit the red sock. Well, he threw it and it didn't quite hit and he threw it again and it didn't quite hit and he threw it again. But finally, he hit that red sock. I said, okay, now do that again. He did it again. He goes through the whole bucket of balls. I help him pick up the balls, bring the bucket back. I said, why don't you do it again? Do it again, dude. After a bucket or two, I said, you know, I think I'll go sit down and you keep doing that. And so, so he kept going and, and hitting the balls and, and I mean, hitting the, hitting the sock. And, and then the next day I got home from work and, and I said, where's, to, my, to Suzanne, I said, where's William? She said, oh, he's out there. I looked out the window. He's got the bucket of balls. Pow, pow. And you know, I don't know how many buckets of balls he went through working on that accuracy drill. But I can tell you in uncertain terms, that, that red sock got more action from William than it ever got from me. And <clears throat> so Peter's saying in a similar sort of way, this is what you must do. You, you must take dead aim and you gotta tune the other stuff out of your life. You've gotta fix your sights on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, but I'm busy, I have work, right. You're looking at Jesus. When you go to the Waltham's place and you see all those people, you're, sure you're interacting with them. Of course you have to interact with them. But in the midst of it, you see Jesus and you're serving him even as you're doing your work. Or you go to school and you're talking to your teacher or you're talking to a professor. Sure you are, but in the midst of it, you see Jesus and all that's going on. You're focused on him. You're talking to a neighbor or to a relative or to somebody in your life and, and something's going on. It's, it's sure it is, but you're seeing Jesus and you're keeping your sights fixed on Jesus no matter what it is that's going on around you. Stay focused on Jesus, Peter was saying, if you're gonna ever hope to have victory in your life. This is, by the way, one of the reasons that you hear us often around here talking about the devotional life. And, and actually taking time each day to spend a few minutes with the Lord, reading his word, praying. Why do you do that? 
Because our minds get blurry. Why do you practice the piano every day or ballet or football? Why do you, because you forget. Why do we go back to the Lord in our devotional life day after day? For the same reason, to reframe our focus on our Savior. See, here's what the problem I think is many people, they say, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time with the Lord, and they do it one morning. They say, you know, that, that was really good. They do it a second morning. That was really good. The third morning, they're like, you know, I think I'll snooze today. The fourth day, I think I'll snooze today. And they go the rest of the year, and they snooze. And I'm not saying two days of devotional life is a bad thing. It's a good thing. But that's not going to carry you very far. That's why we talk about the ongoing devotional life. If you read the words of God day after day after day, you know what will happen? Is that then over time you'll begin to think the thoughts of God in your high and happy moments, in your low and sad moments, and everything in between. You'll think the thoughts of God. Why? Because your mind is saturated with his word. This is also, by the way, why we talk so much here at FaithBridge about being in a small group, being in a grow group, where, where you actually have some brothers and sisters that you see maybe on a weekly basis, and you could talk about how, did you have some victory? You were saying that this was going to be a challenge, and we prayed for you. How did that go? And you actually have some people to work your faith out with. Why? Because you can't, Play the Christian life as if you're a football player with no team. You've got to have some people that you're doing this with. Incidentally, next Sunday is a great Sunday. If you're not in a grow group, I hope that you'll take part. Next Sunday, we'll have what we call a meet and greet, where a lot of our grow groups are just out in the, in the atrium, and you can actually go and talk to various people and say, you know, I think this might be a group or that might be a group that I should try. I hope that you will do that, and, and let's get you into um, Oh, and you know, I'm thinking for, for some people who aren't really great readers, they don't love to read, and you say, you know, that kind of counts me out because I, I, just, I just don't think I'm ever going to read the Bible. You know, the whole thing is you can listen now. You can listen to most any translation. you got 10 minutes of commute, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You can listen to God's word and picture it as you're driving along. And you can hear sermons, not just the sermons here that we make available, but, but many very good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching uh, churches around the nation. You can listen. You can feed your mind his word all the time. Why would we bother? Well, verse, verse 14 Otherwise, he says, your mind will just slip back into old lustful ruts of ignorance and habit that used to control you. See, once you decide to follow after Christ, you got to realize everything's, it's like you changed teams. You know, Brandon Whedon, you might not know him, but anyhow, he was, he was a, a backup quarterback for the Cowboys, and then middle of the season, they, the Texans brought him in. And he actually did pretty well for the game or two that he got in. And last week, the crowd was chanting, why don't you put him in? Because the Hoyer was just really throwing a lot of good passes to the other team. And, <laughs> and so I was reading this article about Brandon Whedon, and, and he was saying, you know, the interesting thing about being a middle-of-the-season move, he said, when I got here to Houston, I had to unlearn, unlearn, unlearn the whole Cowboys playbook all the X's and O's and all the numbers and all that system, delete, delete, delete. I had to get that out of my mind. Now I had the Texans playbook and I had to learn it. That was studying a lot of new pictures, a lot of new drawings, a lot of new numbers. Here's the routes. Here's how we do it on the Houston Texans. He said, I had to get that in my brain. I had to unlearn this. I had to learn that. Otherwise, if that, when I got out on the field, I, I just said, let's go this way. And the team would have gone that way. It wouldn't have worked. And in the same way, see, when we follow after Christ, it's like we've changed teams. I was on the team that was sort of just controlled by my own lusts and my own uh, desires and the devil gets footholds in there all the time. And, but now I'm following Christ. I'm on a new team. That's why we say we've got to fill our, our minds with God's word and be in community and so, so that we can continue to grow uh, closer to him. So Peter's saying, if you're going to be a victorious follower, the first thing is, 
you're going to have to have a mental shift. Your mind's going to have to be transformed. The second thing, and this is the other one, you're going to have to have a lifestyle transformation as well. Your living's going to have to change too. Look at verse 15. Like the holy one who called you, you be holy yourselves in all your behavior because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we're to be holy. Now that word holy, that's kind of a loaded term today, right? I tell you, you ought to be holy. And you're like, I don't think, because what do you think? Instinctively, so many people today think condescending. I don't want to be condescending. No, that's holier than thou. That's, that's saying I'm so much better than you. That ain't what we're talking about. I'm not talking about holier than thou, the expression meaning condescending. Some people say, no, I, I don't think I would want to ever be holy because in your mind you think there's, there must be this long puritanical list of rules that's probably two pages long, single spaced. And, and holy people can't do this and can't do this can't, and have to do this. And, and I can't listen to my music anymore. I can't play my Xbox anymore because, well, I got to be holy. No, that's not it either. Still other people get confused and they say, well, it doesn't have to do with attaining some sort of inaccessible level of sinlessness that just very few people could ever, he's a very holy person, I can never do that myself. No, that's not what he's talking about. That's not the meaning of the word holy. Well, let's define what does the word holy mean? Biblically, what it means is set apart or distinct or different from all the rest. So when God says of himself, I am holy, what's he he saying? He's saying, just so you people can know, I'm not just one of five or ten other gods out there. No, no, no. I'm completely different. I'm completely distinct. I'm completely set apart from any other deity you ever heard about or religious system that you ever heard of. I'm completely distinct different. And similarly, when he calls us then to be holy, what he's saying is, I want you to be set apart and different and distinct for me. Holiness is nothing more than our saying to the Lord, I want to become wholly yours, wholly yours where no area of my life is off limits to you, God, where there's no secret compartments behind locked doors that I don't let you into. No, where I'm wholly yours, where no priority of my life is off limits, where every part of my mind and my heart and my soul, where they all belong to you. Now, I realize you hear that right now and instinctively you think, that's pretty threatening. I mean, that's going to be kind of a a little bit threatening to my independence. Yes, it will. Okay? You're right. You say, I don't know if I'm really ready for that. Wait, 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 wait. Last week, you listened to what Peter was saying about, hey, trust in Christ. Put your living hope in him. Your sufferings. You're like, that makes me feel so good. Right. But now he's comforted us. And he's saying, okay, now in light of that, therefore... Here's how you live. Here's how you live in those years that you still have here on earth where there is suffering and where there is pain and where it feels like things are coming unraveled. It's not a choice. It's just the natural therefore of the believer. Besides, if you aren't living that way, how's that really working out for you? See, the problem is (laughs) we persist and we say, well, I guess the truth is I want to be close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, to get the good things from Jesus, but not so close that anything's ever required of me. Hmm. I think a lot of people say, I want to be close enough to Jesus that I might have salvation That sounds good. I don't really want to go to hell. I'll take that. But I don't want to be so close that I'd ever have to make any personal sacrifices. I guess many people might say, if they were honest, I want to have a relationship with Jesus on my terms. 
To which Jesus says, nope. That's not ever what I came to offer. It's not like a cafeteria where you say, I'll have a little of this and that, but I'll pass on all this other stuff. Jesus never walked up to anybody and said, hey, would you guys just mind identifying with me? Because I need a few people who would say they're my followers. But, you know, you just say, hey, I'm in, I believe in Jesus, or I'm a Christian. You just, that's all you got to do. That's really, that's all I'm looking for. Because I don't really care if you actually become like me or, you know, follow or anything. I'm not really talking about that. I just want some people to say, I believe in him and, and just call themselves Christians. That's never what Jesus said. Quite to the contrary. The problem with us, though, I'm afraid, is that many of us talk about him as if he did come and as if he did say you know, I don't care if you have a lot of other priorities. Just could you squinch me into that priority list somewhere? Would you just give me a little portion of the pie of your life? He never came to do that. Some people um, will have been here long enough to remember a story that I told four or five years ago. But I think it illustrates this very well. When I had just gotten married, uh, Back in the days before there was social media and all of that, we were getting the closet organized, and Suzanne looked up, and she saw this box up on the top shelf of the closet. And she said, no, what's in that box? And I said, oh, that's photos. She said, well, I want to see. I said, oh, okay. So I got the box down. We sat down on the floor and sat down by the box. And she pulled in. She reached out an envelope that had a rubber band around it, and and she pulled out photos, and she picked up a, a theme. She's like, Okay, what's her name? And so I, I said, well, this is her name. And we went out from kind of this period to this period. And, and on the cover of the envelope was her name. And, and she said, oh, well, okay. So she rubbered it, put that back. And she got another packet out. And she said, okay, I'm picking up a theme here. She said, what's her name? And, and so I said, well, you know, and we went out from here to here. And after one or two more, she's like, wait, wait a second. Is this whole box just a progression of envelopes of all your past girlfriends? And I said, well, you know, organization is a very important thing to me. And she's like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. No, this isn't going to work. I said, well, I can't think of a better way to do it. Can you? And she's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. She said, Ken, I took your name. I married you, which meant I, I'm all yours, and it means you're all mine. And so would you like to throw this box away, or would, would you like me to do it for you? And I said, no, nah, I think you're getting a little carried away, baby. I mean, really. This is, she's like, no, I'm serious. I was like, well, I'm serious too. And I said, how about we'll settle this, I'll ask Pastor Dan. I figured Pastor Dan's surely going to stand behind. So I told the whole story to him, and I said, what do you think? He said, I think you better throw the box away. I'm like, (laughs) what? And Pastor Dan, in essence, said, Ken, when you got married, you said she is your only one, not number one among many. She's the only one. So why would you do that? Why would you keep on? That's just communicating. You're just number one among all the others. She didn't say at that wedding, I'll just be number one of all these. She said, I'm the only one. I'm like, well, you know, that, that does kind of make sense. And so I took the box out and set it by the curb with the rest of the trash cans that next Monday. Now, should it surprise us that God comes along and says the same thing? He comes along and says, no, wait, wait, you got, you, you, you're not understanding this thing. I think that you're thinking that you've got a good life with your work and your drinking buddies and your fan duel team. And then now you've got Jesus. But you just kind of stick me in there with, nah, that's not the way it works. I'm not like on the list. I'm not even number one on the list. I get my own list. I'm the only God. 
This is a whole new way of thinking. Now, the American Christian many times, uh, or non-Christian, pushes back and says, I don't think I want that. Wait, 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 wait. But you said last week, I do want that peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards my heart in Christ Jesus, that sustains me when I'm going through persecution and trouble and suffering and unraveling and pain and all. Yeah. No, so you don't get to have both ways. That's why Peter said, you can have that. And once you do, therefore, here is how you keep your mind on that. Here's how you live from here on. You get to have a whole different way of approaching life. And why would we ever roll our eyes at the thought of that? Did your drinking buddies, your fandle, did they ever offer to die on a cross for you and shed their blood for your salvation? No. And that's exactly what he's saying in verses 18 and 19. Nobody ever did all that. What more could he do for you? Why wouldn't you give him your all in light of all that he has given to us? So real Christianity, don't you see, is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will a little bit. No. It's a matter of taking your whole will and throwing it in the melting pot and letting your heart be melted into a whole new shape. A disciple is not just one who sets a new priority, but is one who finds a whole new identity. And so what Peter's telling us in this passage is that, that after our minds have been transformed, then our lifestyle, that's the second distinguishing mark that gets to be transformed for those who want to keep that, that, that hope fixed in the midst of good times and bad times that comes through being born anew through Jesus Christ. This means, don't you realize, friends, that there's a differentness to the Christian's life. There's a distinct quality that anybody should be able to look at your life and say, you know, he's a little different. She's a little different. But it's different good. It's not different bad. It's just, it's different good. He, he's kind. She's loving. They're joyful. Peaceful, patient, forgiving. There's, there's these qualities about these Christians. It's different, but it's different good. The world should be able to look at any of our lives, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, and say that about us. It's different good. Don't know what it is. We do. It's Jesus living inside of us. C.S. Lewis wrote, how little people know who think holiness is boring. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. Even if 10% of the world's population had it, would not the whole world be converted before the end of the year? I think he's right. The world doesn't understand holiness. The world doesn't understand being set apart for God. Why would they? That's why the Lord says, I need you to be that so that you can show them a better way. Be that to who? To the 10 people that you see regularly in the Starbucks or to the people that you see regularly on your kid's sports team? Or the people that you see regularly in your workplace or your neighborhood or, or wherever? That they might see the sermon being lived out in your life. They gotta see it. Now, I wanna make one thing clear before we close. Um, You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to live this way if you don't first have Jesus Christ 
residing inside of you. See, I'm afraid what many people might hear a message like this and get a little confused about is, is they think, okay, so the message is I got to go out and really, 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 really try harder, try harder. I'm not going to cuss as much. I'm going to try to be a little nicer. I'm going to try to drink a little bit less. And, and then maybe, then maybe I'll kind of be holy. No, that's not the message at all. Throw that out. The message is, it's like a toy, that, you know, or a game that you open at Christmas and in, it's lifeless until you put the batteries in it. And that's what our lives are like until Jesus is, there. so if you don't have Jesus, if you haven't settled that in the first place, then you don't need to bother with this. That's why Peter started with what we talked about last week, being born anew into this living hope. Therefore, you can move on to what we've talked about today. But if you don't have that first, therefore, you're not ready to move on and even hope to live a distinctly different life. You have to have Christ residing, not just residing, but prevalent throughout your whole life. Short of that, Everything we talked about today will just feel like a tedious list of chores and burdens and, and things that'll just, it's fatiguing. I'll never do it, I quit. No, you never would be able to. Only Christ in you can do what we've talked about today. So trust in him, surrender to him. Let your heart and your soul and your mind be so melted into the shape that he wants to make you that your life then will sparkle that others would see you and say there is definitely something different about him or her but it's different good and I've got to figure out what is it it's Jesus that's what these thoughts are captured so well in a poetic piece that was written some years ago by a Rwandan pastor just before he got martyred, apparently, for his faith, got killed for his faith in Jesus. But he wrote these words, and I'll close with this. He wrote, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back. Let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living and sight walking and small planning and smooth knees and colorless dreams and tamed visions and mundane talking and cheap living and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity or position or promotion or plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right First, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I live now by faith, and I lean on his presence, and I walk by patience, and I lift by prayer, and I labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of the adversary or negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity or meander at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up 
or shut up or let up until I've stayed up and stored up and prayed up and paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work until someday he stops me. And then when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. Amen. 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 Would you close your eyes right now? I want to lead us in a time of guided uh, reflection. In this quiet moment, I want to ask you a question. And that is, what aspect of your life right now would you say is holy, is really honestly set apart for God? What aspect of your life is surrendered to him fully? I I just want you to ponder that for a moment. And then a follow-up to that question is this. How does it show? In other words, when a non-believer, when somebody doesn't have Christ inside of it, when they're looking at you, how, do they, how does it show that you're distinct, that this aspect of your life is set apart, is holy? How does it show Is it something of which others would look at you and say, he's different, she's different, but it's different good. Now let's flip the coin over. Let me ask you this. What part of your life is not holy? is not surrendered to him. It's just not. It's not set apart. What part of your life is it that you're sort of, maybe you're unwilling. You're saying, you know what? This closet is locked up and I alone have the key. Would you be honest and just bring that to the forefront of your mind right now? And then let me ask you this. What more could Jesus do for you to help you realize the folly of what you're doing, the silliness, the superficiality that he is God of the whole universe, that he made you, What more would he have to do than he's already done on the cross, shedding his blood that you might be forgiven? What more could he do to convince you, I'm done with this. I'm done with low living. I'm opening up that closet. I'm going to let him come in and I'm going to let him work in my life now. Lord, our prayer today is that you might be unlocking and opening up a lot of closets in our souls, closets in our minds, closets in our hearts, closets in our mouths, and that you'd say, now I'll go ahead and be the Lord. I'll be the leader. I'll be the king of this aspect of you as well. It's time for you to grow up. No more switching tracks back and forth.
the quietness of this moment, I just invite you right now, would you just say, that's what I want, Lord. I'm surrendering now to you. Thanks, God, for the good word that Peter gives to us and for the, the way it just holds together so sensibly. And we'll continue to as we move into the part next week, the next thing he's going to tell us. Lord, won't you help us this week, though, to ponder these thoughts and to walk more closely with you, more victoriously than maybe we ever have before. We ask all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hi and welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought the second part of our new series, Rise Above. Welcome, Pastor Ken. Thanks. Yeah, what a great message today as we moved in First Peter. Last week we talked about the living hope, mm -hmm. and this week we talked about how to live victoriously in that. And I'm just going to jump right into the questions Good. that we got. Right. Um, this person said, great message. Um, help him understand how it ties back to the rise above, how you relate sure. it to what's happening in the world. Right. Okay, so I think that the temptation is for us as Christians to live in this world that often feels like it's unraveling in a way that could be described as defensive. It's like we're playing defense. The walls of the world are closing in. The nation's closing in. My life's closing in. I'm on defense. I'm on defense. I'm on defense. So help me rise above, you know, extend to me that arm that pulls me up. That was last week. Um, where we sort of are the passive agents of this hope that he infuses to us um, if we'll but step into, through Christ, that living hope. Now today, he's taking us, and next week too, he's taking us from uh, being on defense to now you're on offense. Mm -hmm. So now that you are this person of hope, um, because of the living Christ and you've stepped into that living hope. Now, here's how we're going to live. So change your mindset from what are you going to do for me, God, this week to, okay, this is what he's done for me. So now here's how I'm going to live. And here's how I'm going to let my light shine in the workplace and everywhere else that my life might sparkle, that there will be this quality of distinctiveness and holiness to it that others might be drawn to Christ and that I might help them to rise above because my life's being transformed. My mind's being transformed. My lifestyle's being transformed. And so uh, I think in short, we got to move out of this mindset of I'll just sit here and the Lord's just going to sort of keep pulling me up again another week. Well, no, finally we got to move to offense mm. and say, Good. here's how I'm going to live now. The, the, the life in Christ that he offers. That's good. Okay, so the next question that came around is what if during this lifestyle change there's an obstacle, um, whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or someone that you're in a relationship with that keeps pulling you back to the other track? Mm -hmm. Besides prayer, how does the Bible say we can handle this? Sure. Well, besides prayer, that's a big one. Let's be in prayer and personal devotions like we were talking about. I would say community. Who is your community? Who are the ladies, if you're a lady, or the men, if you're a man, um, that are encouraging you and helping you to stay on uh, the road that Christ has for you and not to, to be uh, lapsing back. Now, the challenge comes with the obstacles uh, because some obstacles we can control. Um, if you're in a workplace, that is telling you, you must do unethical things, dishonest things, um, untruthful things, you can change that. You, you, you can't change them maybe, but you can change your job and just go get you another job. On the other hand, if you're a child of a parent or parent to a child or spouse to a spouse, 
we can't change that so much. Yeah. So, uh, and conveniently, we're going to get to it, not till uh, at the end of the summer, but Peter's going to write to the husbands and the wives, and particularly to the wives in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, he's going to talk uh, to the wives because there was a lot of Christian wives who were saying, you know what? I got Jesus. I love Jesus. This dude, he still doesn't. He doesn't get it. Can I just be done with him? And Peter's going to say, no, stay in that marriage. This is your context for living this Christian life. And you can let your light shine. And you can have an impact on him. And maybe by your sparkling life, he'll come to saving faith in Jesus. So no, you can't just dump him. Um, and, and so th I think the challenge for us is that while, yes, there are some things that we can change and maybe should change, uh, like the job illustration I gave, many aspects of our life are going to have obstacles. Mm -hmm. But what's new about that? That's what the early Christians had. They had real obstacles, like maybe today I'm going to get my head chopped off. I can't change that. So here's how I'm going to live for Christ with the hours that I've got today. And if he gives me another day, I'll do it again tomorrow. And so I think that, it, and, but since I brought up the marriage, let me just bring maybe one caveat. And that is sometimes there is a spouse situation where there is abuse. And, you know, and I would say in, in that situation, let's pull off to the side of the road and, and, uh, let's get you to a safe place, uh, sort of like young, eventually, King David when he was playing the harp that day for King Saul and Saul got all irate and started throwing spears at him. And it was at that point David said, I've got to, I got to go. And so I, I would add that caveat just on the outside chance, I hope outside chance that we're talking about a spouse here and there's r real abuse um, that's 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 going on that's dangerous. Other than that, we we got to live our life in the context that God's put us and we can't make it all smooth. Mm -hmm. um, we'd like to, but none of the Christians throughout history ever got to do that. All right. Neither do we. Neither do we. Okay, so here's the last question that I had that came in. Okay. So um, how does this scripture apply to um, what this person is calling super religious Christians who are devoted to the activities of Christianity, but not so good at reflecting the love and grace of Christianity after 20, 30, or 40 years? Just wonder, is there a biblical foundation for any kind of wrathful words or behaviors from Christians? Uh, well, n no. Uh, I, I think if I'm understanding the, the, the question, if you well, look, Christianity is not a, a faith that's based upon tenure. Mm -hmm. So for me or anybody to say, well, you know, I've been a believer for 40 years. <laughs> you peon, you just trusted in Christ yesterday. Boy, do you have a long way to go. I could still be a baby Christian if I hadn't grown one whit since the day I trusted in Christ for 40 years, which is a very sad thought. Um, and my concern is that there might be people who this questioner is referring to who say they have trusted in Christ, but Jesus said in Matthew 7, it's, hey, by their fruit, you'll know. So if there's not fruit, um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithful, self-control, forgiveness, you know, generosity, all that stuff. If there's not fruit coming out of a person who's been a, a supposed Christian for 20 or 30 or 40 years, then I would really question, have they really been a Christian? Have they really trusted in Christ and followed and give, surrendered their life to him? Or did they just say that they had? Um, because the fruit tells everything. It's a good word. It's good. Okay, so most popular question is, tell us about the pastor from Rwanda. Sure. And where did it come from sure. and where can they find it? Sure. So we'll post that on the, the questions, sermon questions, sermon questions, sermon questions today. There's a little link underneath the podcast. Right. So we'll post that, that piece. It is a piece that 
Uh, I have never seen a name uh, uh, fixed to two. I was given it as Pastor Dan was too. When we graduated from seminary, our whole class was given a framed, uh, well, I guess it wasn't framed, but we framed it, um, that came with our diploma. And at the bottom it said, anonymous uh, pastor from Rwanda. And maybe it said on there, I just did a little snooping around, but my understanding is he died. He would die, he was a martyr for his faith. But that's what he wrote uh, beforehand. So we don't know, uh, at least I've never seen uh, a name associated with it, but it's very inspiring. It is, and its, it's words very, live on, right? It's inspiring so many people today so, so as well. It's very yeah. good. So yeah. thank you for your message today. Sure. We're excited. Looking forward to part three next week. We'll see you right back here, good. and we'll see you back here next week as well. Keep your questions coming. Thank you for joining us for Postscript. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.